And I, if I'm going to sing by myself, I usually try to go out into that entryway there because, man, the acoustics there are phenomenal. Okay, you, you can take a bad voice and, wow, out there it's great. But to sing and rejoice and, and just allow your voice to be lifted up like that, that is fun, that is exciting. But I tell you what, there is nothing like the body of Christ coming together and lifting up our voices together to our God in praise. My hope as, as we come to our passage is that you will leave here this morning wanting to rejoice, looking for opportunities to praise God. I, I've had a very hectic week and, and putting this message together has um, just taken more time and effort for whatever reason. I don't even know, honestly, if you were to ask. But I have a burden that you would leave here today rejoicing. That's what my prayer is for you. We, we come to this passage, and I've, I've titled it, God's Work in You. I, I hope and pray that you can see God working in your life. But when we, when we consider work, sometimes that, that word just bristles within us sometimes. I want to look at a statement that God made, though, in the very beginning of His Word. I want to take you back and, and start in Genesis this morning. It's really easy to find Genesis. It's the first book in the Bible. If you would turn to Genesis chapter 1, it's really easy. It's on that first page there in verse 27. Look at what it says. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed uh, that is on the surface of all the earth. Every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be for food for you. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky and everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Notice. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their host. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then... God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, 
Because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Look at verse 15, would you? Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. He put man in the garden to work. From the very beginning, God intended mankind to work. It's interesting that we have come to a a place where work and responsibility, work has almost become like a four-letter word. You mention work and they're like, The idea of responsibility, well, nobody wants it. Nobody wants to work. Here's the truth. God created work before the fall. The problem is, is sin and the fall made work very difficult. Sin brought, brought hardships to working. But as we look around our society today, and it's not very hard to, to find, we, we see that there is no desire to put forth effort. There's no taking responsibility of one's actions or inactions. That's the culture in which we live. Laziness has permeated the hearts, and I say the hearts, of our society. So much so that it is acceptable It's interesting, Scripture actually has quite a bit to say about these attitudes of of laziness. This type of a work ethic or non-ethic. The Proverbs are loaded with them. If you you sat through our, our time as we went through the Proverbs in Sunday studies, it was a continual thing that was was brought up. I just want to share two with you. There's a whole lot more, but let me share two. Proverbs 18, verse 9. Look at what it says. He also who is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. Look at that. The one who destroys is Satan himself. The one who is slack in his work, lazy, is brother, is kin to the devil. That's a very bold statement. Look at Proverbs 21-25. The desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. There's consequences for this type of attitude. This type of mentality. And it's permeating our society. 
I could spend a great deal of time going through the scriptures, talking about the sluggard, talking about work ethics, but we are looking this morning at our, our passage, and, and before we do, I, I want to read one other letter that Paul wrote, not Philippians, but a, a letter that he wrote to a church in Corinth about work. Here's the amazing thing, is this kind of heart attitude that is permeating the society around us can be found even in the church, even in the heart of the believer. And the things that God in His Word says that you and I should work on, that we should put forth effort in, We have allowed this same mentality, the sluggard mentality, to creep into our hearts. Look at what Paul says to the Corinthian church. He begins in chapter 3, verse 11. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. What a beautiful thing that the foundation of our salvation is Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation. He goes on to say though, Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you he's talking to believers there the things in which we do for him for eternity will last the things that we do in this life that are temporal will be burned up and the foundation of that is jesus christ himself paul as he is writing and addressing these believers in philippi He's challenging them to consider what they do, why they do it, and consider, contemplate, think about. It's amazing how often the Scriptures engage our minds. It's not an emotional thing. It is something that we need to think through, grapple with. And he's challenging us to think about the work that God is doing in you. In you. What is God doing in and through you? In and through me. As we look at that, Paul's going to look at the concept, the attitude, and the product of this work look at philippians with me as we continue through this letter verse 12 so then i love verses that start that way we'll look at that in a minute so then my beloved just as you have always obeyed not as in my presence only 
but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain, But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you, with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same same way and share your joy with me. It's kind of a, a happy ending there, isn't it? I pray we leave here rejoicing as we contemplate work. Contemplate the work that God is doing in you and me. The concept of work, I, I appreciate so much how Philippians is laid out. And, and as I started this letter, I, I shared with you the way that the chapters actually fall in place makes sense i mean so often i you go through the scriptures you're like why did they put a chapter break there i mean they're breaking up a full concept i mean and by the way chapters verses if you haven't heard me say this are not inspired okay that came later on so we could find things in the bible um my goodness can you imagine trying to locate something without chapters and verses very difficult But we come, and these chapters make sense. In chapter 1, Paul is able to rejoice in his circumstances. And he shares those circumstances with him. And despite that, he is able to rejoice because he has a single mindset. A single mind that is focused on Christ and being in his service. It's an amazing chapter. Especially if you're going through difficult circumstances, read chapter 1 over and over. But as we enter into chapter 2, Paul shifts from that single mind focus to encouraging his readers now to also have the mind of Christ. Not only the mind of Christ, but the attitude of Christ, submissive and, and selfless. But it's still that mindset. It's an intentional way of thinking how you go through and live life. So as we engage in this second chapter and we begin in verse 12, it begins, and I wanted to break down this for us, it begins with, so then. Remember what we just finished reading? Paul has has just described our example. Our example in Jesus Christ. The way that Christ, being the very, being himself, God, humbled himself, came, died a criminal's death on the cross. And God lifted him up, elevated him above all names. 
And every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. So then, since you have this example of Christ himself, we look at humility, we look at obedience. So then, our our example that we are given in Jesus Christ goes beyond just the, the external image that we portray to those on Sunday. Our example goes beyond the image that we portray to the world around us. If it was just that, we could do a good job sometimes pretending, couldn't we? I've been very good at pretending before. I've had very bad days. I've walked in with a smile and convinced others that I am having the best day of my life. But it goes beyond the external and challenges us to look at the substance of what is within. It goes deeper. And see, we can put on that facade real easy. But when we begin to look at the substance and work on that, well, that just takes effort. That's a little harder to do. Think through these verses with me. Paul commends and and continues to challenge their obedience. Obedience. We're, We're talking about an attitude of obedience, an attitude like Christ. Did you notice that when Paul gave the example of Christ, it showed that he was obedient even to the point of death? That's quite an obedience there, folks. And that is our example to follow. And it doesn't depend it doesn't depend on who is around or not. Paul says you guys are obeying when I'm there and when I'm absent. Regardless your obedience is because of who you are obeying. Not because I'm around. It's amazing how sometimes people will be talking and then all of a sudden be, "Oh, sorry pastor, I didn't realize you were around." And they they apologize. I'm like, "Really?" First of all, I mean, that's just silly. Um, Secondly, don't change who you are just because I'm there. Don't change who you are just because someone else is there. Be who you are because you are a child of God. We'll get to that in just a minute. And he says, work out your salvation. This verse has really confused a lot of people. Work out. There's something that needs accomplished. In your life and mine. That that working out, and it's not for salvation. Notice what it says, work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. That's an important distinction there. They have salvation, but, but what Paul is saying, he's saying, don't try working to earn your salvation. He goes, that's pointless. He goes, go read Galatians. You'll figure that one out. 
But what he's saying here is to work it out with fear and trembling. We're not to work for our salvation and and go before God and say, did I do enough? Did I do good? To constantly be, be standing before him, you know, cowering in fear that we make a mistake and instantly we're going to hell again. It's not it. I mean, my goodness, look at the example. Was what Christ did not enough? Christ is enough. In that, we rejoice. And with that, we begin to strive to become more and more like Christ. The the New Living Translation puts it in a beautiful way. It says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. The result of the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. The Holy Spirit, God indwelling you and I as believers and followers in Christ. is helping us become more and more like our example, Jesus Christ. What a blessing. That's worth rejoicing over. And and we do it with fear and trembling, not of of terrified and and cowering, but reverence, understanding that, that there should not be an arrogance in me. Oh my goodness, not to think that I am oh so worthy of this, but but a humility, understanding that I need God to work in me. That, that, That phrase, God is at work in you. He's implementing something. He is the one who's working. But do we allow Him to work? To mold and shape us into the image of His Son. See, the problem is, is when he molds and, and stuff, he starts moving and shifting and, and, and cutting away things that don't look like his son. And sometimes that hurts. Sometimes that's a lot of work. That takes effort. It, it can be painful. We're like, no, I don't want that. I'd rather be lazy. I'd rather just sit on the couch, so to speak, through this life and eke into heaven based on the foundation of Jesus. What a sad and worthless way to live. But we do it. Look at it. For the will and work for His pleasure. For the will and work of His pleasure. Think about that. Allowing Him to work in you. You striving to, to be more Christ-like. Which, which ultimately is that sanctifying sanctification work in you. When we allow that, we are doing it for His pleasure, for His glory. Have you ever thought about that? See, you as a follower and believer in Jesus Christ, 
are a child of God. Paul has reiterated that over and over in our citizenship and just what a, what a joy, but never forget we also serve him. You're like, whoa, isn't that a conflict? Look at our example. Jesus Christ himself, God Almighty in the flesh, came to serve, not to be served. What an honor, what a privilege to follow in his footsteps and serve him in this life, in what we do, in what we say, the way we act, the way we allow him to work in us, to serve for his pleasure. What a joy. And we do it with fear and trembling. When I think of serving God with fear and trembling, I, I, I go back to um, uh, C.S. Lewis and his books, the, uh, the series of Narnia. Have you ever read the books? How many of you read the books? I want to know. Good for you. Far better than the movies. The movies are pretty cool though, okay? Um, but I love in, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. When little Susie... She's talking to the beaver. You're going, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. You've got to check it into it, okay? Pastor's up there talking about talking beavers. That's weird. Okay. She's talking to the beaver, and he's telling Susie about Aslan. And, and, and she goes, Aslan? He's a lion? I mean, she's kind of shocked. I mean, my, my goodness. And then she goes, is he safe? And oh my goodness, Mr. Beaver just throws up his hands. He goes, oh my goodness, are you not listening? No! No, he is not safe. He is a lion. But he is good. See, in our churches, we, we have painted this picture of God, of grace and love and, and hugs and all of this. And we forget that He is a lion. That He is all-powerful. That we approach Him with fear and trembling, understanding that He is the very One who, who created And we approach Him understanding the very God that we have the honor and the privilege to come before. Not groveling and crawling, scared that a lightning bolt's going to come, but we approach as a child loved by the King. Understanding He is not safe, but oh, oh, He is good. With that in mind, we shift our thinking to look at the attitude in which we do this work. Our attitude. Oh, so much can be said about our attitude. Paul mentions two things, I think, that encompass so much. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because you know what? It's pretty straightforward. Paul says, do all things. In case you don't understand the English language, that phrase right there is all-encompassing. 
It does not leave anything out. There are no exceptions. All means all. There you go. You got a word study for the day. I'm not going to elaborate on it because if you don't understand that, you're definitely not going to get the rest of this, okay? And he says, do all things without grumbling. It's sad that I would think that I even have to explain grumbling. But it's, it's basically when we express discontentment. None of us have ever done that, right? Grumbling is an internal murmurings of the heart. And here's the bigger issue, and God always sees the heart, but our, our grumblings and our murmurings of the heart usually come out the lips. And then we begin to share it with others. And then it turns into all sorts of different sins. We could go through the scriptures addressing all of those. But it very easily falls into disputing. Debating and arguing about differences of opinion. We are not talking about debating truth and fact, but opinion. I cannot tell you how many churches I know personally that have split over the color of chairs. And, and I wish I could say that's a joke. And even over more petty things than that. Because when we allow the discontentment of the heart to overflow into our words, we begin to dispute, and this grumbling debates with this grumbling, and then we start locking heads, and it becomes an external conflict with others. Worse yet, it becomes an external conflict with brothers and sisters in Christ within the body of Christ. And Nathan this morning expressed it so beautifully. As, as we sang at the, the, the worship to our God about unity, about coming together as the church, we have allowed disputing to fracture relationships, fracture homes, marriages, churches. And both of those things deal with our attitude. And remember our example, we're to have the same attitude as Christ himself. The reason is beautiful. The reason is you and I live in a dark and perverse generation. Actually, that was Paul speaking of his generation. I would venture to say things are far worse now. Far worse. But he says, you do this, you have this attitude, you do all things this way, because you live in this kind of a generation. And why? Because they are looking at your attitude, and your attitude will express light in that dark and perverse generation. Light. There are those that are looking at you and they see. And when you are around, they see the truth. They see the light. I love what John chapter 1 talks about. Jesus Christ coming, the light of man. It's beautiful. And you and I have an opportunity to reflect that light. 
It's interesting. That generation that, that Paul was speaking of, many didn't know Paul. Many didn't know John or Peter or James. Some great men of the faith. Many had never met Jesus in the flesh personally. But you know who they met? Oh yeah, that, that, that Philippian uh, guy. Yeah, yeah, the guy that works down at the, oh, the carpentry shop there. Yeah, he, he fixed my door last week. Yeah, I know him. Oh, the blacksmith. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he goes to that, that church over there. He, he's part of the, the way. Yeah, those guys that follow Jesus. Oh, yeah, Betty. Oh, yeah, I know Betty. She works down at the, that loaf bakery. Oh, she makes some amazing bread. And so on and so forth. You get it? See, these folks lived in that generation. That generation knew them. That generation saw them. What they did. Their attitude. How they responded. And the generation you and I live in sees you. Sees me. And we too live in a wicked and perverse generation. And Paul gives instruction. He says, you're going to do this by holding to this. Hold firm. By the way, don't just hold it. Oh, we're so good at holding it. I'll walk to church. Look, I've got a Bible. Genesis. Oh, where is Genesis? Where is Genesis? Genesis. Oh, good. He said in the beginning there. Oh, there it is. That's not holding it. Holding it is like those kids in Awana that are placing it to memory in their hearts. When a situation arises, knowing exactly what God's Word says and abiding by it. That's holding on to it firmly. In such a way that it is there with you in heart and mind and soul in any situation of life. And when you hold on to it that way, you are able to rejoice in the work that you are doing. Others are able to rejoice in the work that you are doing. You know why? Because that is the product, or it should be the product of our work. Paul, Paul ends with, with looking at the product and he says to them, first of all, I want, when Jesus Christ comes back, I want to be proud of you. Because I know I have not toiled. I have not worked. The things I have done have not been in vain. And as Paul would look at that Philippian church, their obedience, their work, the way that they are partnering in the work of God. He rejoices. I will tell you as your pastor, it thrills me when I hear of the way that God is using different ones in our local church family. It thrills my heart. And on some of those tough weeks, I go, oh God, thank you. I'm not doing this just to show up every Sunday and say your word and, and see nothing. 
I think of the poor prophet that was told by God, this is the word you're going to say to the people, and by the way, they're not going to listen. I can think of nothing harder. What a joy it is to know that our church family is taking the word of God, holding on to it, and doing the work of the Lord, allowing the work of God to work in them. Paul admits that serving God is hard. He says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. That's called sacrifice. Sacrifice is giving up something. Something being taken. And he was giving of himself. It was hard. It was difficult. Sin does that to work. It makes work hard. But Paul rejoices in that service. Think about it. He's rejoicing, being in prison, rejoicing in having people ridicule him, rejoicing in the hardships, rejoicing that the gospel is still going forth. He says, you know what, church? He goes, I'm going to share this with you. He goes, I am going to share what God is doing through me. So I can rejoice in it. And, and so when you hear it, you can rejoice. I mean, isn't that a cool process? Isn't that an amazing thing? And he says, by the way, church, I want you to share with me. Share with me what God is doing. Share with me how God is working in you. Share with me those things so I too can share in your joy. Isn't that a cool circle of things? You're going through hardships, but God's working, so you're going to share how God's working. People around you rejoice, and then they're like, hey, check it out. God's doing this over here, and you're like, wow, and now you get to rejoice about God working over there. And someone else is like, well, hey, I want to share what God's doing too, and you share what God's doing, and both of them are like, this is amazing. God's like working there, there, there. I mean, and the joy and the rejoicing that is built up within the body of Christ, and you're like, wow. I think about each of these shoe boxes here. There's, there's a lot. Two rows. We'll get a glimpse of the lives that are changed. The ones that we hear the gospel for the first time and we rejoice. What about our missionaries? When you, when you reach out to our missionaries, are you asking them what God is doing? Tell me what God is doing so I can rejoice with you. And then in turn, share what God's doing here. God's working here. Lives are being changed here. Share with them so they can rejoice. I would encourage all of you, this would be really cool. If the Coens this week were actually inundated... With everybody sitting in this room this week, reaching out to them and saying, hey, can you tell me how God's working? And then celebrate with them. How cool would that be? Just rejoice with them. But Pastor Jed, 
Oh, Pastor Jed, it's so hard. The world around us is so evil, wicked, perverse. Yeah, I know. I mean, Scripture says, I mean, that's not a surprise. But we don't look there, do we? We look to our example. We look to Christ, holding firmly to His Word. I mean, think about what the Scripture says. The Scripture tells us that that we're to take the yoke of Christ upon us. He says, my yoke is light. My burden won't weigh you down. We are told that greater is He, that's the Holy Spirit, that is in you than He who is in the world. Yeah, we have a foe out there, but God's greater. By the way, if you just discovered uh, Genesis, you should read Revelation, last chapter. Spoiler, God wins. Read it, that's an exciting thing. I encourage you, I'm, I'm not one of those guys that tells you to go to the last chapter, but man, that one's worth it. Talk about joy. Because the world is watching. In church, the world needs a light. You see... Sin has made this work difficult. But God, but Jesus Christ has made the work of serving God such a joy to serve for His pleasure. Will you allow Him to work in you to see the image of his son be displayed in you to that world let's pray God we rejoice the very fact the very thought that we can serve you God that we can come as your child Yet we come to one who, we, who inspires awe and reverence because of your power. It's that power that brings comfort. It's that power that does the work. And so God, we lean on that power. We ask you to help us because we need your help. God, as we share with one another the work that you are doing in us, the work that you are doing through us, Oh, may we rejoice with each other. God, joy is fun. Joy is exciting. And I pray that for each one here, that they would be able to enter into that with a, in a beautiful way. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning.